Edgar Winter and his uh, old hit of Frankenstein. The old group's getting all back together again. They should be uh, traveling around again. A new album shortly. The original White Trash I'm talking of, not this particular band, this Edgar Winter group. But that was a good one, too, a good band, too, there for a while. In fact, they had uh, Ronnie Montrose in the band, some other good people, Dan Hartman at that time. And the Hurry Sundown, before that, the Outlaws from their latest album of the same name, Led Zeppelin, Over the Hills, Far Away. When Audio Fredder says sail, it'll pay you to listen. Greetings and salutations, and welcome to Radio Days podcast radio program that delves into the world of terrestrial radio it's djs and on-air personality and you all fans of radio as a medium here's your host ron hello and welcome to radio days the podcast today's show is produced by ron robinson studios if you need professional marketing videos or professional photography headshots maybe you need drone video head over to ronrobinsonstudios.com. Also, I want to introduce you to Instacart. This product will, uh, the products rather that you love from your favorite local stores delivered right to your door in as fast as one hour. Just follow the link in the show notes and get free delivery on your first order over 35 bucks. Before we welcome our special guest today, our documentary about the history of terrestrial radio, Radio Days 101 Years of Radio is coming later this year. If you would like to help, and become a producer of this documentary movie, click on the heart at the top of the page and become a patron. Also, thank you in advance. Every little bit helps. So if you're going to help out, I appreciate you. I'm super excited about my guest today because growing up, he was one of the first DJs I remember hearing on the radio, along with jocks like Dan Carlisle, Jerry Lubin. My guest today gained fame during the early days of the legendary radio station WABX in Detroit. Some say he's responsible also for the discovery of the legendary rock band, the MC5, which we will be talking about. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Dennis Frawley. Dennis, how are you? Fine, yeah. I think this declared to uh, discover the MC5. <laughs> well, I'm going to give you a little bit of credit, though. We'll talk about that. Artist workshop, but we, uh, we promoted them. We were the ministers of propaganda East Coast. So we got people interested, and we wrote in our column the Cocaine Karma column. We took over a column in the underground papers because we, we got Danny Fields to come out and see them and get him signed to Electra. And uh, I, uh, we were flown into uh, Buffalo because our column was popular and we had a, a radio show too. We were flown into the Buffalo at one point for the Drug Cultural Symposium, which is at the University of Buffalo. And, uh, the first, the Friday, I think Friday night was Tim Leary doing, you know, you can be anything just around with guitars and stuff. And then the second night was the MC5 and they just blew the place away. There was snake dancing. People were going nuts. To, well, we were we were down here when they recorded. They got the jams. This was after that. But I went to their first West Coast tour. Myself, Sinclair, and Danny Fields. And they didn't have the records there in the West Coast. But we, so they had a little problem with that, and then Sinclair had to come back for one of his court hearings. Before we get too far into the MC5, because I do have questions about that, I want to go back to the beginning. Before you even got into radio, let's start at the beginning. What were you listening to as a kid? Were you listening to radio as for music, or were you listening to personalities? My father it was, uh, and his brother had a swing band in Minneapolis, St. Paul, and you know they played it. 
they were the world you know they played live on the air at the Lowry Ballroom at the Lowry Hotel things like that and and went all through Minneapolis and the Dakotas they used to compete with Lawrence Welk in the Dakotas and uh, my father he, he was considered corny even then <laughs> but uh, we uh, I, so I, he had a bunch of 78s growing up and I listened to them endlessly you know all of Benny Goodman and and uh, you know some blues stuff and uh, um, you know the, the uh, uh, a, a lot of uh, just uh, mostly swing, swing stuff over and over. I listened to it. a lot of Crosby, Crosby, the Boswell sisters, Connie Boswell, and Big Crosby. Just a lot of stuff like that was. A, I played it all the time. I did go down to. Uh, a few times to the black clubs in Miami. I went and saw, I saw uh, Aretha play at the uh, Night Beat Lounge in the Sir John Hotel in 1963. That was exciting. Wow. And they had great bands there in these clubs. And then down to block down the Harlem Square Club, they do have an album. Who did he was Sam Cooke live from there. Actually. Wow. But I saw, I saw Hank Ballard and the Midnighters and, and uh, Etta James there, which was kind of exciting. Sam and Dave, I think, came out of, out of Liberty City. And I used to listen to a guy named China Balance growing up in terms of DJs in Miami. I kind of liked him. He, he did everything. He did folk folk shows too in the early '60s. And then he uh, and he when he was doing his other thing, he was China Balance. And then sometimes he was extra Q rock and roll. And he was white, I guess. Man, going from swing <laughs> to this stuff, I could I just had to did it had to blow your mind. Well, you know there was you know the before rock and roll, rock and roll was the love song of the electronic age. Before that, you had this, you know, sobby, the boy next door, girls and boys uh, like uh, Snooky Lanson and uh, Dorothy Collins and your hit parade on TV, singing slow, misty-eyed ballads until rock and roll. That's why when Chuck Berry said, hail, hail, rock and roll, deliver me from the days of old, the feeling is there, body and soul. That's what they were talking about when rock and roll came on. Everything changed for the, the teenage youth who needed something for their libido and to get them up off their seats and on their feet, flying fast. You know, so I, we loved rock and roll. The first thing I remember was was Rock Around the Clock. Bill Haley with his little spit curl and he looked like a corny hillbilly, but you know he did Rock Around the Clock and he did. Uh, you know, shake, rattle, and roll. And the, you know, my you know, next question, my next question for you was when did when did you know that you wanted to work in radio? But I guess you kind of just answered that question. I really did that didn't music? Think about it. I, I, I was I was a poor kid for the most. But I mean, I, that hearing that music had to say, "Hey, Kay, I want to just be around that," especially being around seeing such amazing talent. Well, I mean, I I, I got around the music business when I moved to New York City after I got my uh, after I graduated. And I had Sinatra records even and stuff like that. And I loved the rock and roll in the fifties and everything. That was my. You know, like, so were you more Elvis? Were you were you were you more Elvis or were you more Beatles? You probably you strike me as an Elvis guy. Well, I liked Elvis. I was not crazy about "I Want to Hold Your Hand" by the Beatles when that came out. Or we used to call it "I Want to Hold Your Gland." You know, that was <laughs> what we called it. <laughs> uh, and, you know, then there was, there was also a lot of corny stuff in the 50s. There was Pat Boone, you know, with his white shoes and his even whiter music. Right. Um, and they used to say, uh, you know, that ain't, ain't, ain't that a shame, like Fast Domino, 
We should change that to, isn't that a shame? Because that's not proper grammar, Pat used to say. So when did you know you wanted to work in radio, and where was your first job in radio? Let's fast forward. I don't know. I, oh, well, I, yeah, well, where did I start? I, I was in New York. Uh, I had friends from the Catskills, a friend of mine, uh, Gilbert Weingort, who uh, was managing the scene, which is Steve Paul. The scene, Steve Paul later managed Johnny Winter, Edgar Winter, and David Johansson, and even Tiny Tim for a little bit. <laughs> so I, he made me the bartender. I was waiting to see if I was going to have to join the reserves because you could join the reserves and you didn't have to die in Vietnam right away. So I was going to race back if I got a 1A. But somehow I got a 4F. I was just, I was just so relieved. But uh, So I say, well, I don't have to do that. But I just kept bartending. I was, I was meeting everybody, songwriters, and uh, he would come up and say, oh, this is Frankie Lyman, give him anything he wants, and here's the Ronette, here's uh, uh, people like Bernadette Peters in there, and people like, you know, young, young uh, aspiring people on Broadway, and, and they had a piano player and everybody, everybody sang on Broadway, I got so sick of hearing on Broadway, <laughs> and, um, you know, different people would come in and play, Joni Mitchell would come in and play, it was like the improv, it opened at the same time as the improv, and I think the late 64, but it was a disco. And the disco was all Motown, then, originator of Motown, Barry Gordy. He wrote uh, a lot of Jackie Wilson songs, too, right, like yeah. Dogging Around, stuff like that. So he said, well, this is opening up this rock and roll column, so let's do that. It's called Pop, Rock, and Jelly by this uh, guy that was leaving. And we said, well, we can't call it that. So we threw some names back and forth. He said, Karma. I said, Cocaine. And we called it Cocaine Karma. Wow. We spelled it, I spell it with all K's. So it was Cocaine with a K and Karma with a K. And we didn't do any cocaine. That was overpriced and overrated, as we would say. <laughs> I don't think I ever had cocaine or carried cocaine on me. I sampled a lot of products, though, in the 70s. <laughs> no, you know, everybody's always saying, here, have a two. You know, groupies and, and promotion men. So how did, you go, how did you go from New York to Detroit? Did you get, get hired at WABX from New York, or how did that transition go? One thing when they got interested in in us because we were writing up, we befriended Sinclair through first through through um, letters back and forth, Rudnick and Sinclair. Then he came to town. We had him on our show and everything, and played some uh, tapes of the MC5 and talked about stuff. And, and it almost looked like uh, you know about them getting busted all the time. But uh, so we we got to know him, and then one day he came in and he had uh, the Stooges uh, manager with him too. Uh, was a nice guy, hippie kind of long hair. That back when the Stooges were living out there, they were all vegetarian. Not the Stooges, but his wife and, and the manager. But anyway, the, yeah, Sinclair. We uh, and we introduced him to Danny Field too. We got a, a show on on WFMU, which was in Jersey. It was a non-commercial, freeform, kind of competed with BAI and Bob Sass. But people were putting up antennas on the head shops and everything to get us in. We were we were in mono, too, but they were looking for something different. And finally, anyway, we did that, and, and from that, actually, we had also met the general manager of ABX. He'd heard us. We were flown in in uh, October 30th. We flew in with uh, John Cale, who was going to produce the Stooges album. He was going to, the Stooges were going to open for the, the taping of the Kick Out the Jams album at the Grandy. And so we flew in to uh, 
Detroit, and they took us directly to the Grandy. In the, in the cab I'm driving through, I'm seeing nothing but bombed out buildings and stuff down go with that Grand River. You know, whoa, doesn't look good here. <laughs> so we go in there and uh, we watched that, and then we went back to the house in Ann Arbor after that. So we'd gotten them signed because the next night, the second night, we had an MC at the Fillmore East for a benefit for Biafra. From that, uh, who knew that we were going back? But I went out west with Sinclair after this drug cultural symposium in, in, in Buffalo. But they played in L.A. They played with Joplin uh, when she had the horn band and um, the MC5 were a little, little different. But they played in the park. They always did well in the park. We played in Golden Gate Park and we played. Uh, we went out to Leary's house. Leary wanted to come out and see him. And we all sat around. Leary says, I used to be into that sitar stuff last year. Now I'm into the MC5. <laughs> That's <laughs> funny. Would say That's funny. Of all the people I see at Leary's house, I see the, a guy from the, from the uh, Limelighters, uh, the, the bass player, uh, the heads of the deer and the deer, was Blue Godly, you know. So I wasn't down here yet then. We were still on in, in, uh, in, in New York. And uh, I guess the summer of uh, 69, we started at 68. First, we had the cocaine karma column. Then they wanted us for, uh, they wanted an underground image for the number two men's monthly to Playboy at the time, which was Cavalier. And Rudnick had worked for Playboy in Chicago. So he knew some of these people that were the editors of Cavalier. So we were a music editor of Cavalier, too. So we had two of those things going and a radio show. All of a sudden, I'm not making any money much. And I was living in the loft, the Evo loft there for free, way in the Lower East Side. Rudnick was living with some guy just for how hip he was on the, on the Central Park East. And, and the guy, it was just a kid, he was 19. He ended up being an inventor. He invented the cordless bike, the cordless guitar and all that stuff. Wow. Then, uh, who knew we were going to come out there? So we decided to, to move. Nobody goes to Detroit by design usually, you know. But we we actually went to Ann Arbor first, and then we had a drive had a drive in every night, you know, to go to do the, the all night show. And we did Sunday from like six to midnight on ABX, you know. After we uh, after we came to Detroit, we came in uh, probably May, I think, of '69. Uh, you know, they uh, and they offered us. All night, they offered us, I think, Sunday night. That was it, I think, once a week. Then they gave us the all-night show, too. Right. We got paid, I think, $110 a week for about 32 hours on the air. Wow. And so we came to to, De- to Detroit where we got fired again because Rudnick said that Russ Gibb wouldn't take a pee in his own bathroom or something about the nature of the bathrooms at the Grandy. So then they were going to hire us back because Carlisle left because Carlisle left from ABX to go to KNR to make more money. And so the reason he was leaving is because they fired us. <laughs> we were a lot of people liked uh, our show. Up next on Radio Days, the podcast. Well, I'd been there because I'd, I'd gone up there when we came in to see the MC5 and stuff too. And they knew who we were because they had all the underground papers. You know, strong about everybody read the underground papers everywhere then. Have you been thinking about starting a podcast? I highly recommend Buzzsprout. We use it here for this podcast and could not be more happy with all the bells and whistles we have access to. Buzzsprout gets your show listed in every major podcast platform. 
you also get a great looking podcast website, audio players that can drop into other websites, detailed analytics, tools to promote your episodes, and much more. Following the link in the show notes gets you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan. Plus, it helps support our show. Go check out Buzzsprout today. For those who, who may not know, from 1960 to 1984, WABX, a.k.a. the station that glows in the dark, which was a great slogan, by the way, it was the coolest radio station. WABX was a widely influential, freeform, progressive rock station in Detroit. Mickey Shore had an all-girls station there. They played the Probably, you know, probably play some pretty good middle of the road, you know, salad ears, maybe uh, Mel Torme type oh, stuff, probably. Yeah. Talk to me about when you started at ABX. So it started in 68, in okay. like the spring of 68. What was ABX it like when you started. got there, as far as a, a DJ atmosphere? Well, I'd been there because I'd, I'd gone up there when we came in to see the MC5 and stuff, too. And they knew who we were because they had all the underground papers. You know, strong about it. everybody read the underground papers everywhere. Then most of the people bought it for the cocaine karma and the and the comics, the underground comics, and for the personals. You know, which were sold big on Madison Avenue. The businessmen. Well, when I first got there, um, you know, we had uh, we had a German guy in the morning, Kurt, playing Beatles records in German. And I did the, when I did the all night show. He used to look at these underground papers and he said, "In my country, people put out things like this; they'd be shot." I say, well, take it easy, wow. take it easy, Kurt. Right, lighten up. <laughs> He'd play another Beatles album and dance around. He's happy. <laughs> <laughs> then when he uh, when he left, then uh, Jerry Goodwin came in. Goodwin had been uh, top forty. Had been at K Box in Dallas, one of the first top forties. He's been a top forty guy. Our program director. He, he says, "Where do I start? You know, we got ten thousand albums or more. You know, so he doesn't know what to do. So he." He grabs a side of Miles Davis in a silent way and plays a side of Miles Davis, which is fine, but you have to do something after that. Playing some pretty obscure stuff there, like the Beach Boys, Cabin Essence. Great to have a good voice there in the morning and good for commercials and everything else. I think a lot of stories from him, too, about people. One of the things that I talk about in my documentary that I'm producing about the history of radio, Dennis, is especially in your area, in your era, rather, how the jock, era. your era, I'll get it out right, um, how the jocks, um, you got to select the music that you played. So this is before consultants, this is before playlists. That's the whole thing. You walk in, you grab a record, and you play it, and you see where it takes you. At least I could do that. Some people can't. they got to figure it out ahead of time and stuff. Sometimes I would, you know, I was thinking stuff I wanted to play. Think in my head what would go good next. Well, it's, And it's, we it's, never wrote them down. You know, we right. never wrote them down. We got really annoyed once a year. We had to write them down for, uh, for ASCAP, for publishing. Selecting your music. How did you select your music? Yeah, I brought some of my own in, but they had stuff, and they even had some jazz there, too. But we thought about At first, especially on the late night, I, I played a lot of jazz, too, and folk. I used to get letters from like uh, from musicians, like the, like the, the guitarist for the Stooges, saying, more jazz and rock, less folk. <laughs> and people like Larry Miller like folk. Some people like a little bit of folk in there. And I had. But when you were picking your music, it was just a, it was it wasn't about genre, wasn't it? Just about a feel, like from one song to the next. I, well, music was the main thing for me because I didn't, you know, I wasn't really a, a broadcasting experience. First time I had to read read some copy, you know, see, you know, especially when you go to a different town, you know, I would see uh, G R A T I O T. I pronounced it gradient. 
Right. Instead of Gratchet. So as you just mentioned, uh, you know, and, and I talk about this in my movie, um, the fallout of Paola, how did that affect you as a jock? Did it affect you as a jock? No, not at all. So yeah. I played things that you weren't supposed to play. We don't want to hear Motown on We're tired of that. We shoved down our throat all through the 60s, Dixon used to say to me. I think, well, I think it's pretty good. It should be in the mix. <laughs> to me. And I played oldies. I played, you know, the flamingos. I only have eyes for you. I played some of the platters, my wow. prayer, you know, the slow, slow dance, the ladies' choices from the 50s. And I played, you know, everything Chuck Berry and Elvis Presley, James Brown, Temptations. I did a special on Temptations on ABX. One on Dylan, too, when he came in, when he played with the band in Ann Arbor. David Ruffin, David Ruffin, Dennis, Dana, D- David, hey, Ruffin David Ruffin is still my favorite. I still, he's my favorite singer of all time. Great baritone. Yeah. Great baritone to go with the, uh, with Eddie Kendricks. Oh. Eddie Kendricks, Get Ready. And oh, my course, goodness. Uh, Have you seen the Temptations docuseries? It's fantastic. No. Oh. I did go over with my, my wife, my, my Michigan wife <laughs> from Mount Clemens, and, uh, and we went to the, the uh, I think it was the Elmwood Casino in Windsor. We saw the Temptations, the club, the nightclub there. They were like oh. right on top of this. I, I, I got to see him in Vegas a couple years ago with just one of the original members, but I still so blessed that I got to see the Temptations. Very cool. Were they have Otis Williams still? They still have the bass guy. He was yeah. there forever. Yeah, Otis Williams. They still let me interview Smokey Robinson and Stevie Wonder and Bobby Womack. Yeah, they let me interview Bobby Womack. Three times I had Bobby Womack. And once he brought in Ronnie Wood from from the Rolling Stones, he was playing with Faces with Rod Stewart. And he got on stage with him and did it. I used to love her, but it's all over now. Which is, but just, so they let me have a few. And then I used to have when I do all night. The jazz musicians used to come in. You know, Herbie Hancock came in. Jim Billy Cobham, drummer, and people like that. They have, I had Alice Cooper on early and Iggy on early. Every. We used to play everything. We would play music by uh, cultures that are more beautiful than our own. Music by pygmy, pygmy tribes and stuff. And, and uh, people like Dave Leone and the DMA, Mark and Gail Perrano. And Gail, of course, worked, worked for the, the big promoter there at the time. And she was the one you had to get tickets through. Thank, uh, thank you for tuning in today. I'm talking with legendary Detroit DJ Dennis Frawley from legendary Detroit radio station WABX. Dennis, we talked about the diversity of, of not only the stations, but the, the jocks that you worked with. Talk to me about how WABX changed or evolved during your time there, your 12 years there. Well, you know, well, I played, I like to play uh, all the superstars from James Brown to, you know, to uh, Hank Williams. <laughs> I played. I always threw it Hank Williams just for because right. of his great lyric lyric. I play I play Waylon Jennings stuff like that. I like to play that little rock and roll to it though. Well, most people don't know he started with Buddy Holly. I mean, he didn't start in country. Well, yeah, he was supposed to be on the plane with Buddy Holly. You know, he, he, instead somebody else took his seat, so he didn't die in the famous plane crash. The big bopper, I believe. Yeah, he, yeah, the big bopper and and uh, and Ricky Valens. All three died in that field out in the Midwest. I wanted to have a popular show, so I played, you know, a lot of stuff that, that was big. But I clung. He clings to the golden oldies. They used to say they hit me out on a desert island in the in the Detroit Free Press, you know, along with Dick Burton and a bunch of these others. But yeah, I had to, my favorite favorite songs were 
I think I had I put a spell on you by Screaming Jay Hawkins and <laughs> Don't Be Cruel by Elvis Please 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 by James Brown uh, Love Supreme by Coltrane you know stuff like that but I even 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 if it was uh, disco I, I prefer the, the Bee Gees doing disco than the Bee Gees doing 1941 New York mining disaster or whatever you know some of the, the early stuff of theirs but I kind of like Jive talk, and I could deal with that one. The other ones, you got sick of in a hurry because they became so big. I couldn't play too much of that after, after that movie came out, and I couldn't take it. But I pretty much kept it rock. And when they took away the black music and into just white rock and roll, then I just tried to rock as much as I could at first because we had we had, we had gone to uh, we were losing. People were a little too esoteric, too much craft work type of stuff. Up next on Radio Days, the podcast. We weren't allowed to play Elvis at that time, so I had to bring in some stuff from home to play, anything I could get my hands on. But I'm, I'm not so crazy about the tunes that I chose. I chose anything I could come up with. <laughs> I chose Hendrix doing, a, a, doing an Elvis <laughs> tune. I want to introduce you to Instacart Express, the products you love from your local stores, delivered right to your door in as fast as an hour. Your groceries, hand-selected by Instacart shoppers, based on your preferences. They also pick the freshest produce, and they're going to keep your eggs safe, too. Instacart also highlights deals for you to help you save money. Just follow the link in the show notes and get free delivery on your first order over 35 bucks. Go check out Instacart today. While preparing for this show, Dennis, I heard you breaking the news of Elvis Presley's death. Still in the early 70s was the last time I saw him. He was still jumping pretty good, even with the Vegas show. But the last uh, time in town, it was a little bit uh, slow from those of you that I've talked to that have seen it. Anyway, some of the word around, I got all kinds of AP uh, messages here on Elvis, many of which I haven't really gone through that much. But rock and roll, here's the latest. Rock and roll star Elvis Presley, the Mississippi boy who went from driving a truck to driving girls crazy, died today of heart failure. Finally, a Tennessee medical examiner has announced that after a three-hour autopsy, he had uncovered no sign of any other disease and no sign of drug abuse. A family friend said in Las Vegas that he had talked with Presley's father and that the elder Presley is taking his son's death very badly. Presley's mother died 19 years ago this past Sunday. Like Elvis, at his death, she was 42 years old, his mother too. And uh, so heart attack is uh, what they uh, figure it was. All right. Anyway, let's uh, go back and cover some things, maybe not all the most popular Elvis, but perhaps cover mostly some of his early material, because that was when he was rocking and rolling. A truck driver, you know, that auditioned with Sam Phillips and Sun Records there in uh, Tennessee and Memphis, and uh, and went in and uh, forget what his first one was. It was Mystery Train or That's All Right, Mama. But anyway, let's hear from Elvis. Uh, first, let's hear from Elvis being interviewed way back in 1958. And if you were listening to WABX, like I said, you broke the news. I mean, it was shocking to people. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. It was a shocking, except that pretty much you could see him bloating up over the years. I guess that was a seventy-seven or something that he died. Yeah, seventy-seven. We weren't allowed to play Elvis at that time, so I had to bring in some stuff from home to play anything I could get my hands on. But I'm, I'm not so crazy about the tunes that I chose. I chose anything I could come up with. <laughs> I chose Hendrix doing a, a doing an Elvis tune. <laughs> I, listening to it, it just took me back to memory lane, and it was nice. I wasn't quite, we weren't quite sure what we were doing, but you know, there was no Detroit's nicest rock. Right, right. There was no, the magic is the music. First ten in a row here at Magic. And I think that Shelley Graffman and the, saw it in, in, in St. Louis and everything, and they started getting concerned about what was going on at ADX. So 
next thing you know, they just come marching in, take over the station like a like a coup. You know? uh, of course, Shelley is one of the, one of the owners, the two brothers, Shelley and Howard. Howard had a like a soft music and and a and Shelley, of course, had Casey in, in St. Louis, and they came in and wanted to make us like Casey, and uh, and it was okay, you know. So I figured I'd better rock, you know, because we've been playing some wimpy stuff. We were playing like the softest stuff off of, in middle, mid-tempo, like Fleetwood Mac, you know, Bob Welch, some rhythm and blues. I mean, so, some, you know, pop, pop uh, there was a lot of good pop black music then, the Spitters and stuff, and OJs, and, which is a, probably a, made sense you know, from a marketing standpoint, but uh, they were having none of it because there was not there was nothing else doing exactly that. The only the only what they called middle of the road then was was like um, Streisand and Neil Diamond and the things like that that they sang slow, misbehaved ballads and things. Uh, so it wasn't really a, a station that was in between, you know, soft rock kind of thing. But, but I, you know, I wanted free form, so I was not happy about that. And I wanted to have freedom; it was everything to me. Right, you know, having more tools to, to, to do that. Say, right, oh, I forgot about that one. You know, right. Switching gears a little bit, one of the cool things that you uh, you got to do at ABX, other and other rock stations in Detroit did it as well. Was you guys played softball games against one another, and sometimes you would play against bands like Journey. Tell me about your softball games that WABX staff played. You know, I played, you know, I'm a, somewhat of a child athlete, but I was getting to my mid-30s. Then, but, yeah, we played everybody, and I played, uh, they hit me at third because I have an arm. But the journey game, I, they had, uh, the journey manager was umpiring, and he called me out. I was clearly safe. I was bat by the bag. <laughs> and Calvert takes his elbow out when I'm past the plate, and he calls me out, so it was fixed. The fix was in from stu- from the start. Yeah, they yeah, they were fixing it, and I was pissed. You know, I never, <laughs> I was not happy about it. And then, of course, they didn't play. They only played hardly any of their own people. They did the, the the lead singer, you know, Steve Perry. He didn't want her hair. He didn't. He just walked around with a little girl. Look at his beautiful hair. <laughs> <laughs> I remember we played him a couple of times. Journey. We played all, all the. Different all the different bands. Sometimes they'd only have a few, several members, and not everybody would play. We played the Detroit Lions bas- uh, football team, basketball. We played them in basketball. Oh, that's I cool. didn't play in that. I hurt my knee playing racquetball. In those days, they they didn't do arthroscopic surgery. They would just cut open your knee and you know, you run crutches for a while. So I, I just went on with it. And did a lot of water sub exercises. So it was always something we had, we had going. Well, we talked about the MC5 earlier. What was it about MC5? Well, yeah, I saw them in Chicago at the 68 convention. They were the only band that played at Lincoln Park. There. They were the only ones that risked their, their equipment, too. And they had, I think they got hooked up to a hot dog stand or something for their equipment. It was, they didn't let them have stage or a flat-top bed truck or anything. They just played in the grass. I, was ex- I thought it was exciting and fun, especially like the, the, the black young black guys that were in the audience there. They didn't know what to make of it. <laughs> they were playing motor trees burning, you know, all this stuff. And it was uh, quite exciting. But then, then the Yippies wanted to take over, of course, you know, because they wanted to, they were going to do a thing on the, the, the Humpty Dumpty and Hubert Humphrey. All of a sudden, they didn't like Hubert Humphrey. 
or we didn't. Nobody did because he was the vice president. He wasn't responsible for Vietnam. He was he he was against it all along, but he couldn't say so because when you're the vice president, you have to go along. Ginsburg was there, everybody was there, but they all got up and did their bit. Abby Hoffman, and they didn't want to get off stage. The MC5 wanted to play. Wayne Kramer was just jumping back on stage. <laughs> uh, they couldn't play enough. They were. I, I thought they were very good and exciting and fun to watch. And uh, raw rock and roll, you know, raw rock and roll it was so different, and it was so awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, certainly uh, yeah, in, in your face. <laughs> Plus, they were they were pretty amusing guys, characters too. All of them were pretty nice guys. What? Why do you think um, that they didn't have any follow up success? Well, they fired Sinclair. They fired. Uh, the, Brother J.C. A lot of this was because of uh, John Landau. They brought in John Landau. I think that was probably Danny Field probably suggested that. Uh, John Landau, who manages Springsteen, you know. He came, and all of a sudden, from sounding like the Rolling Stones, they sounded like Paul Revere and the Raiders on the second album. Yeah. He took all the bass out, all treble, and they all sounded so like little, kind of too clean and too uh, antiseptic. Thought of the, of the second album, they had some good songs on it. Looking at you, I used to always play the the, the A Square production of Looking at You back in in Jersey. You know, I, once I played them back to back, you know, after that second one came out, I played the Looking at You with all the feedback, and then I played the one off of back in the USA. And Landau calls that, and he was he was living out there with the uh, with the band and with the with the band's girlfriends and wives when they were on tour. He said, Don't play those back to back. I said, why not? Because <laughs> he didn't he didn't like the way he took all the energy out of them on that album. Right. It made them sound. I think that hurt. The third album, they came back with a little bit more, you know, more of their, uh, on Atlantic. Well, the last two were both on Atlantic because they got thrown off of Electra for all the stuff they did. Sinclair insisted on having his wonderful diatribe about the revolution on the record. He wanted that off at Electra, and then he wanted to keep a, kick out the jams, Mother, you know, Mother Humpers, <laughs> you know, on it. <laughs> and so, uh, so now the, the idea, everybody wants the, the original, the original MC5 album with the liners on it and the Mother, mother Humpers on right. it. <laughs> you don't have that, you don't have a real MC5 uh, right. debut album. So, Dennis, WABX also gets a lot of credit in the popularity of the Jay Giles Band. Or are you, you guys used to call them the Giles Band. Talk to me about the station's relationship with the, with Jay Giles. Remember when I was doing the All Nights, I got a call from Peter Wolf. I didn't know, though, that they were, I didn't pay much attention to it at the time. said they were recording some stuff and everything, that he worked in Boston and so forth. A little while later, they, you know, we liked, I liked them right away. They were doing, you know, John Lee Hooker's Serve Your Right to Suffer and stuff like that. And uh, so I liked them right away. I didn't, We got behind them. We got behind Aerosmith, too. Interesting, both from and Boston. That's interesting. Reno had a lot, something to do with that, too. But, you know, he, of course, from Boston. Started in Worcester. I used to give the most, a lot of the interviews were when you did middays. So when they came in, they, they moved me and... Uh, I said, uh, we've been playing a lot of wimpy stuff here. You know, we got to establish a rock base if we're going to do anything. I was doing 10 to 2 then. Of course, I was number one on every page uh, when the ratings came out. And then the next thing, they put me back on an afternoon drive after a couple of books. I mean, uh, we had Steve Dahl in the morning then. 
Stahl had some talent, that's for sure. You know, we knew that. And he went to W4. They bought bought him for, uh, for more money, and he traveled to W4. Hey, another thing that you like, did, at, another thing you did at WABX was you would play entire record albums. Which why do you think that stopped? Well, he always did that sometimes. Now, if somebody was late, like I was once going to take John Land out to be on up the air with me when I was doing when on a Sunday night. And I had Brother JC's car, and I drove from Ann Arbor out to Chelsea, where the band had got my house. Pick up Landau, the band was out of town. I'm driving back, and the and the car breaks down. So I had to get some girl came and picked me up, but, but I was uh, late. Dixon's there, pissed off. Dixon's playing the side of you know, Bogota and Vita. That's the kind of things we did. So when when somebody was late, <laughs> well, nobody liked the Bogota and Vita. <laughs> And uh, so he was playing in the God of the or they played a side of Tommy or something, which I hated. <laughs> I generally, uh, no, we always did it whenever when they forced it on us uh, from St. Louis. That made us hip. <laughs> Plus, we had to play two in a row here, and then we played a new one, and, you know, they had a format. It was still pretty loose, though. You could do good things with it. I could play the Buffalo Springfield. You could play a Steve Spills tune followed by a Neil Young song from the Buffalo Springfield like Mr. Soul and Rock and Roll Woman or something in a row. So that way I got two of the same artists in at a time. I would do little things like that. You know. But you got you to gotta know your music to do that. It's much easier to just have set tunes that you can play, and uh, that's why they, they get much more control over the DJs that are way down on the list of importance at a radio station. When I think about records, I think about sitting in a room and looking, the, looking at the art of the album, or if I'm listening to an album on the radio. Yeah. Yeah, the albums were great because they had great artwork, and you could see who who wrote songs and things. You know, you got all that stuff there. You don't have that on Spotify. <laughs> exactly, and people listen to music yeah, differently. I, like I, inst- I mean, even when we were listening to CDs and cassettes, you're still listening to a whole piece of work. And 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 back then, bands would take you on a journey in a lot of cases. Coming up next week on Radio Days, the podcast. When I first came there, he worked uh, midday. I think it was Carlisle in the afternoon. Then it was Larry Miller at night. And then it was Dixon across midnight. And then uh, then I did the all-night show. Two to two to seven, one to seven, Sundays seven to midnight. That's when I really learned the library. Tune in next week for part two of my interview with Dennis Frawley from WABX. Thank you for tuning in today for Radio Days, the podcast. And, of course, keep an eye out for Radio Days, the movie, coming later this year. Today's show is produced by Ron Robinson Studios. If you need professional marketing videos, professional headshots, photography, maybe you need drone video, head over to ronrobinsonstudios.com. Also, have you been thinking about starting a podcast? I highly recommend Buzzsprout. Detailed analytics, tools to promote your episodes, and much more. Following the link in the show notes of this podcast gets you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan. Plus, it helps support the show. Tune in next week for part two of my interview with Dennis Frawley right here on Radio Days, the podcast. Until then. Remember to have lunch with Jim Sauté and a guest artist. That's every Monday through Friday at noon. It's brought to you by Mark Kellers in downtown Birmingham. Comfortable clothing at a comfortable price. Now, I can't remember. Somebody, I think he's got somebody up there tomorrow that's going to be interviewed or interesting. And uh, I'll, I'll think of it or find out about it and tell you later. All right. Let's go to the movies. Fantastic Animation Festival. 16 of the world's finest animated films by the most imaginative, innovative artists compiled into one feature-length animated extravaganza. 
light, color, and line, a feast for the eye. Music, from the classics to Cat Stevens to Pink Floyd, a treat for the ear. Each film an award winner, a separate sensation, a treat for your mind. Fantastic Animation Festival, a kaleidoscope of color and sensation that is the most original exercise in entertainment that you will ever see. Enter the realm of light. Fantastic Animation Festival. Yes, check your daily newspaper movie guide for the theater where it's showing nearest you. ABX reminds expectant mothers about Butzel Family Center's parent-child program to help you plan a healthy beginning for your child. Call 224-7050. You can't go! All the plants are going to die! 